0: Isaiah 47, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Isaiah, we took a break last week, uh, had a little excellent Wednesday service uh, to stop and talk about the death of Christ on the cross, if you didn't get a chance to hear that, grab one of the CDs or catch it online there. But Isaiah 47 and 48 tonight. Now, if you weren't with us two weeks ago, two weeks ago we had four main points and we did chapters I believe 44, 45 and 46. And we talked about those four main points were prophecy, God's the only one that can do Prophecy. God is God, we're not. God is the Creator, and God is the Redeemer. Now, in 47 and 48, you see those same themes come up again. Now, so we're not going to skip over those points necessarily, because we covered those two weeks ago. So if you're going through 47 and 48, and you're thinking, boy, James, you're skipping over some pretty big verses here about God being the Redeemer and God being the Creator, not skipping over those. We covered those in depth two weeks ago, and I encourage you to get that or listen to it if you haven't. But what you have here tonight... The key verse of what we're going to talk about tonight is Isaiah 48, verse 22. This is one of those verses that just speaks volumes. Isaiah 48, verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. No peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Now, think about this. You all know somebody who is not living a life that they should. And you know their life is miserable. There's no peace for the wicked. You know in your own personal life, I know in my own personal life, that when I have gone backwards instead of forwards with the Lord, and I'm backsliding instead of going forward, when I'm in a little type of spiritual rebellion, there's not much peace in my life. I'm on edge, I don't have patience, and I'm kind of grouchy. There's no peace for the wicked. There are times in my spiritual walk where I just don't, I hate to use the word feel, you just don't feel right. And those are times I stop and I say, Lord, when is the last time I really spent some time with you? I mean, really spend some good time in prayer, really spend some time in the Word, really spend some time of just praising you and listening to your voice and just really spending time with you. What we do a lot of times as Christians is when we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually, we're miserable. I've joked about this a lot, but it's not uncommon out here at church for me to call somebody and then not to want to talk to me. Because why am I calling them? Calling them because I know things aren't right in their life. They don't want to talk to me because they know things aren't right in their life. They don't want to deal with it. A lot of times when people quit coming to church, not every time, there's obviously reasons why people can't come to church, work, sickness, etc. But when I see somebody start falling off the radar, there's not much peace in their lives. I know that. It's not because Harvest Fellowship is the only church. That's ridiculous. That's not the statement I'm trying to say. I'm just saying is when people start going off and backsliding, going away from the Lord, there's not peace in their lives. Now they think there's peace in their lives. I remember distinctly a few years ago, I was doing counseling with a couple, and uh, rough, rough patch. you know, one of those rough patches where I didn't know if they were going to be able to make it through, and by the grace of God they did. Things were going good. He was going through discipleship. she was coming regularly. things were really starting to move. And we hit the summer months. Now you know what happens in the summer months. Things get busy, right? Softball starts up, baseball starts up. Trips to the lake starts up, trips to the river. All those things have elements of good in them. I'm not picking on that. But the problem is when it becomes overwhelming, when those things overtake us, and God is no longer a priority because activities are, you know it's a danger. Well, these guys fell off the radar for a while. And I remember calling him up, and I remember saying, Hey, are are you doing okay? Are you okay here? Oh, things are great. I said, really? I said, things are going good. He goes, yep, we're spending lots of time with each other. Now, time with each other is important. But I'm telling you, our long romantic walks on the beach does not necessarily fix a marriage. Jesus Christ is what fixes a marriage. And so often we think we have these things that are going to bring us closer together and make us a family. And really what happens is those things don't really do as much as we think they are. They're a great little short-term fix. They're a great little band-aid for a while. But long-term changes in your life and my life comes through Jesus Christ. So point of what I'm trying to say here is, is this key verse, there's no peace for the wicked. When we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually, there's not going to be peace in your life. That's just a fact. And what you see here tonight is there's going to be four things that they were doing that kept them from having peace. But we're not going to leave you hanging, because there's also things that you can do to bring peace. Because the other side of this verse, there's no peace for the wicked. If you're taking notes, is Philippians 4.6. Is that what? There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And where does that peace from that surpasses all understanding come from? From Christ Jesus, the Bible says. So there's no peace for the wicked, but there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I hope some of you can give a testimony of that too. There's been times in your life where things have just fallen apart and it was darker than dark and God was getting you through it. So there is peace there. Now, what are we doing to work for that peace? Well, why didn't they have peace? We're talking about Babylon here. We're talking about Israel. Why didn't they have peace? The first one, verse 6, I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. What's the first reason why they didn't have any peace? They didn't show mercy. Do you realize that those people that are usually very forgiving, they can let things go, they have a lot of grace, mercy, and compassion, generally in life they're just happier people and more peaceful? I have noticed that those people that have a really hard time forgiving and forgetting are generally more miserable. There's a peace in showing mercy. There's a peace in letting things go. There's a peace in saying, you know what? I'm not going to let that get to me. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's little things. There's a great parable in Matthew 18, if you remember. There's a the guy that had this great debt forgiven by the king. Huge debt. He walked away happy. Ran into somebody owed him five bucks. and next thing you know, he, he wants to beat him senseless and throw him in jail. And then that guy goes back to the king, and the king says, I forgave you greatly, but you can't forgive this person. And the king then throws him back in jail. The whole point of the parable is, you have been forgiven greatly in Jesus Christ. So why can't we have mercy towards others? And I know right now somebody's thinking, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but they didn't throw you on the cross. We threw Jesus on the cross. Our sin crucified Christ. He forgave us for that. So therefore, we can show mercy. We can let things go. We can let those little things not become big things. I tell you, as so often in the body of Christ, I see people get worked up over something that you just want to tell them, let it go. It's just not worth it. Yeah, but they shouldn't do this, or this is not the way it should be, or I'm so sick and tired of this. Just let it go. Mercy. You may say, well, they don't deserve it. That's the point of Mercy. Mercy is you getting something, and you deserve worse for that, but they let it go. That's mercy. So the first point for peace is have mercy towards people. If you don't have mercy towards people, there's probably not much peace in your life. Next one, verse 8. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. What is verse 8? Pride. Now, there's two types of pride that they have. They have pride in verse 8 of themselves. I am and there's no one else beside me. Pride will take away peace in your life. You know why? Because when you have pride, you always got to prove that you're the biggest guy. You always got to prove your top dog. No one else can teach like I can teach, so that's pride. No one else can lead a Bible study. No one else can lead a prayer group. No one else can lead worship. No one else can serve. That's just pride. Now, this is the one thing I've learned, especially as a pastor. I tell you, I just got to flip on the radio... And generally, I flip on the radio. Just the other day, I was flipping through the radio, listening to Christian radio, and someone was teaching through the book of Titus. Now, if you know that we just got done with Titus on Sundays. So I hear them teach through Titus, and I thought, oh, for crying out loud. I am the worst teacher in the world. We should have just played this guy's CD on Sunday mornings. There's always somebody that's going to be able to teach better. You know what? There's always going to be a church that's bigger. There's always going to be somebody who can lead worship better. There's always going to be somebody who has a better servant's heart. When you keep thinking that you're number one, verse 8, I am and there's no one else beside me, pride will take away your peace because you always feel like you've got to compete. There is no competition in the body of Christ. Now the next point about pride, though, is verse 10. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. No one sees me. Verse 10. Pride also is, I can get away with this. No one saw me. I can look at that stuff, and no one will know I looked at it. I can watch that, and no one will know I watched it. I can have that thought towards somebody, and no one will know I have that thought. There's that pride, and I can get away with it. And I just want to tell you right now, I Hate teaching on this point. This is one of the most convicting points for me is to say this verse, Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. I hate that verse. Because that verse is I tell you, be sure your sin will find you out. You know what I'm hearing in my heart? Be James, be sure your sin will find you out. I was just reading a book about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham uh, made a point where he said that he really dislikes, this is uh, towards the end of his life, he disliked getting up in front of people to speak. He says, because the body of Christ had elevated him to such a level. He said he knew what he was like, he knew the darkness of his heart. And he said, But people have elevated me to such a level where they think I do nothing wrong. And you know what? What a humility there. Because don't you know people and you look at them, you're like, Man, they don't sin. I bet they never sin. You know, we all sin, we all stumble. There's a pride in verse 10, though, of no one sees me. Just telling you this, not to scare you, but just as a statement, I'm saying it to myself. If there's something in your life you know you shouldn't be doing, and no one knows about it, be sure your sin will find you out. Let it go. There's a pride in thinking, I can keep getting away with this. That pride will take away peace, because when that... Pride is there, the peace isn't there, because you keep thinking, what happened if they find out? What happened if they see it? What happened if they knew what I was really like? Boy, if there's something that's bringing you down, let it go. Look at the next one here, verses 12 through 15. There is lack of peace when you're seeking wisdom in the wrong places. See, in verses 12 through 15, they were searching wisdom from enchantments and sorceries and stargazing, etc. Now you may think, finally, there's one that I'm not falling in. I don't do the horoscopes. I'm not contacting the psychic hotline. I am not going out at night and looking up to the stars to find out the next path of my life. Agreed. Probably not. But this is what I took out of this verse. Verses 12 through 15. They're seeking wisdom from places they shouldn't be seeking wisdom. Let me ask you this real quick. Where do you seek your wisdom from? Well, not horoscopes, not the psychic hotline. Good. But how often do we seek wisdom Maybe from people we shouldn't seek wisdom from. I know a lot of people are like, well, I was talking to my friend at work, and she says I should do this. Okay, I don't know your friend. Maybe it was good advice, maybe it wasn't I don't. But was your friend really seeking Jesus Christ and what the best choice for your life was? So often what we do, and we do it subconsciously, is we just keep seeking wisdom until we finally find something we want to hear. Well, I asked 50 people, and finally the 50th person said what I want to hear, so that must be really good wisdom. Well, let's seek the Lord. Or you may say, I'm not doing that, but here's what I find sometimes, is I seek wisdom, and I seek wisdom in one person, and that person is me. What do I think is the best path? You know how many times I see Christians plan their life by what they think is best? This is the job I think I should have. This is where I think we should move. This is where I think I should serve. This is who I think I should date. You're not seeking horoscopes. You're not seeking stargazing. You're not seeking non-believing wisdom. But sometimes we only seek the wisdom of ourselves. We think things through. We think it's smart. We think it's good. There's a danger in that. James 1 makes it very clear. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all liberally without reproach. If you don't know what to do, seek the Lord. And if you do know what to do, still seek the Lord. Because he's the one that will tell you what to do. There is lack of peace... When you follow your own path. Last one here, and then we'll stop for a second. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 48. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 48. Because I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck was an iron sinew, and your brow bronze. Now, I find that verse a little difficult sometimes to grasp. So, um, who's got New Living translation? Kathy, do you got New Living? Kathy, what's verse 4 say in Isaiah 48? You are as hard-hearted as bronze, your neck is as stubborn as iron, and you're obstinate and stubborn. There is a lack of peace and stubbornness. I tell you guys, if I had to pick a sin in the body of Christ, we are a stubborn people a lot of times. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, I know what I'm supposed to do. Now seriously, what can you say after that statement? I know what I'm supposed to do. The answer to that is then we'll then do it. I don't want to do it. Why don't I want to do it? Now, you can give every reason in the book why you don't want to do it, but the truth of the matter is it's just stubbornness. I don't want to do it. Why? doesn't matter. If you know what you're supposed to do, then do it. So often, people come, and they're seeking wisdom, and and they come and say, okay, here's the situation. What do you think I should do? What do I usually do? I'm horrible at counseling, right? Because my first question back is, what do you think you should do? And you know what? 90% of the time, they know what they're supposed to do. They just want someone else to say it, or they want someone else to say you don't have to. I'm willing to bet right now, for you that are struggling with something out there, what should I do? I bet you know what you're supposed to do. And it's a matter of stubbornness. I know that because I deal with it. I know what I'm supposed to do. And you know what? I'm stubborn. I'm obstinate. My neck is like iron, unbending. My head is as hard as bronze. Hard-headed. I've shared this story with you before, so forgive me for the repetition, but we grew up with sheep. And when we used to go in to feed the sheep, there would be rams. And these rams could get really aggressive and really mean. And I can remember distinctly, we had this very long, club-like thing, hard wood, that you would take this in the pen with you, because if you went in, those rams would come up and try to buck you. And you could hit those things hard in the head, and boy, you could swing and hit them. It'd phase them, but it wouldn't hurt them. Hard-headed. I remember one time, mom going in, and she had this bucket of feed. And I remember the bucket came out. um, Ram came and bucked it. Is that that right? Is mom in here? Mom's not in here. She got raptured. Um, I always knew she was a godly woman. (laughs) My parents are here somewhere, and I'm not making up a story. But bucked the uh, bucket. And I remember the bucket had this huge den in it. Now, the reason I bring this up because what does the Bible say? We're sheep. We're hard-headed. God knows that sometimes He can smack us in the head with a club and it ain't going to hurt us. Now, it may daze us a little bit, but it ain't going to hurt us. And some of us need to be smacked in the head. Why? We're stubborn. I'm telling you right now, if you are stubborn on something, there's not going to be peace in your life. There's not going to be, because you're going to keep thinking, well, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'll, I'll make peace with that person when they come to me first. I'll forgive that person when they ask for forgiveness. Or, you know what, I'll let that go when they do this. Now, that's just stubbornness. That's a neck of iron. That's a head of bronze. If you know what you're supposed to do, then do it. These four things will take peace away from your life. Not showing mercy, being prideful, thinking you can get away from sin, seeking wisdom in the wrong places, and being stubborn. Those four things will suck your life dry of peace. It it will. That's what they were doing wrong. Now, we'll finish with what we're supposed to be doing right, but that's what they were doing wrong. So, let's stop here real quick. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about this part, about the lack of peace, before we move on to the next part? Yeah, John. Yeah. Uh, I mean, great. It, you, you bring up a good point because we all vent to people. Yeah. I mean, we all do. And there is, there is positive venting and there's negative venting. I've sometimes vented to people and I walk away feeling worse, you know, because you rub each other and next thing you know, you're getting all worked up. You know, to me, positive venting is you vent and then you say, let's give this over to the Lord and, and let it go. And, and I agree 100% with what you are saying there. There's been times in my life where I've held on to something and it just makes my stomach churn. I mean, I mean, just I can just think about it. It just starts making me mad. God's saying, James, let it go. Well, oh, I can't let it go. Well, look at what they're doing. Look at this. Look at that. Just let it go. There's a peace in letting it go, and that's a great point. Great, great point. anybody else got anything they want to say here before we move on? Okay, so we talked about what not to do. Well, what are we supposed to do? Stay in Isaiah 48. Jump ahead to uh, verse 18. Actually, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Remember as a kid singing that song, Peace Like a River? Biblical. Okay, so you want peace. Verse 18. Now, can you just not stop and envision that? We, right now, we had a great time. Uh, Russ hasn't planted the field behind our house, so we can go back to the creek. And we take the boys back to the creek all the time. We go back there, and there's bugs and crawdads, you name it. For boys, it's absolutely wonderful. You go back there. It is so calm and tranquil. There is just quietness. There is just nothing else going around. You've got the water flowing. You've got nature. You've got trees. It is a wonderful, peaceful time. Wonderful, peaceful time. You know, what does it say in the 23rd Psalm? He leads me beside the still waters. See, there's peace like a river. Now, do you want that peace in your life? How do you get that peace in your life? Verse 18. Heed my commandments. Obedience. Obedience brings peace. See, here's the whole point. What Babylon and Israel was doing is they were not obeying, so therefore, since they were not obeying, they weren't having peace. Obedience brings peace. Once again, when I run into a Christian that usually doesn't want to talk to me, doesn't want to be around me, and they stay completely away from me. Why? Because when they talk to me, they feel convicted. Not because I'm the Holy Spirit, but because they know what I'm going to say is not what they want to hear. There is not obedience, so therefore there is not peace. I know when I obey God, there is a peace that comes from that. And there is no obedience, there is no peace. It is that simple. As we do what God says, a peace comes from it. Now, why do we have such a hard time with that? Because we've got necks like iron and heads like bronze. We think our way is the best way. We think that we know what's best. Well, God says, fill in the blank. Stay pure until marriage. Well, we love each other. Disobedience is not going to have peace. Peace. God says, let it go. I'm not letting this go because I'm not going to be able to let this go. There's not going to be peace. And it's not even that. There's simple things like God says, serve, pray, read. I'm telling you right now, when I really open my heart up and say, okay, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say in your word. I want to serve you, and I want to seek you in prayer and your word. There's a peace that comes out of that. How does it all work? I really don't know. But I know if I take some time and I really spend some time in prayer and in the word, I just feel better. It's just the truth of it. The Bible says that God's word is like honey, sweet to the taste. And it is. I always think I'm too busy. But when I stop and make time for it, boy, there's a peace that comes out of it. There's peace and obedience. Okay, here's the problem, though. You live in a world, and I live in a world, where it's really difficult to be obedient. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 20. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with the voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. What are we supposed to do, verse 20? We're supposed to flee. See, Babylon here, or the Chaldeans, represents the world trying to bring you down, represents the world trying to bring me down. We're supposed to flee from it. If you want peace, stay away from Babylon. Well, what's Babylon? Babylon's a lot of different things. I don't know what your Babylon is. To some people, Babylon is drinking. Some people, Babylon is gossip. Some, some people, Babylon is pornography. Some people, Babylon is fill in the blank. We're supposed to flee from that thing. Because if you don't flee from it, your spiritual life will die. Now, I find it very fascinating. This word flee here in verse 20 caught my attention. So I went to the New Testament. Do you realize the New Testament lists four things you're supposed to flee from? So if you're taking notes here, four things you're supposed to flee from. And I bet you if we would all flee from these four things, our life would be totally different. And this word flee in the original language literally means run as if your life depended on it. This is not just, oh, I've got to get away. This is if I stay, I'm going to die. Spiritually, I will die. So I need to flee as if my life depended on it. So four things, if you're taking notes. First one, 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians 6.18, we're supposed to flee sexual immorality, the Bible says. Okay, that's a good one. We know that. Let's only look at things that are pure to the eyes. Let's not go look at junk we shouldn't look at. Let's not wander to places on the TV, in the movies, online, or whatever, or even in the real world. Let's just not let our eyes wander. Flee sexual immorality. One of my favorite verses about that actually comes from the book of Job, and I've shared this with you. Job wrote, "Um, I made a pact with my eyes. I will not let my eyes wander to the left or to the right to look at a young maiden. Now that verse blows my mind. Most people believe the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, potentially written 4,000 to 5,000 years ago. So Job is saying, I'm not going to let the young women grab my eyes. What were the young women wearing 5,000 years ago? What Was there anything to see? I sometimes wonder if Job is alive today, what he would do if he just tried to go into McDonald's. I mean, Dawn and I got gassed the other day in uh, Finley, and there was something this guy was wearing. I'm thinking, how can that even be legal? It's difficult to flee. So the first thing we need to flee is sexual immorality. There's peace if you flee sexual morality. I'll tell you that right now. Next one, 1 Corinthians 10.14. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee idolatry. Once again, we may be thinking, oh, okay, this one I don't have to worry about. You've heard us say out here numerous times before, idolatry is not just a little statue on your shelf. Idolatry is anything you make above God. To some people, sports is idolatry. Kids sports idolatry. To some people, work is idolatry. To some people, gardening, landscaping is idolatry. Whatever you are putting before the Lord is idolatry. So we're supposed to flee that. Next one. I found this one interesting. First Corinthians 6.11. eleven. First Corinthians 6.11. Flee the lust of money. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, you know what? They're offering me double time to work. I, have, I mean, I haven't got a chance to spend time with the family in weeks, but this is, I, I can't turn this down. Now, listen, I want to make sure this is clear. I know sometimes in financial situations, if they're offering that, you've got to take it. I understand that. But at the same time, too, I've seen people where there's such a focus on that dangling carrot of money and uh, promotion, etc., it becomes an issue. Now, I've seen people lust over tiny bits of money. So often we think lusting over money is, I want to be a millionaire. Well, you can lust over a dollar. Whatever it is that you're allowing that money to get the best of you. And the last one, 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. Now you may say, well, isn't youthful lusts the same as sexual morality, etc. I think youthful lust is different. And I'll use this example. I can remember back when I was younger, I had a lot of youthful lusts. Doesn't necessarily mean it was sexual. Is sometimes youth is really just not real smart. <laughs> And a lot of times, what we really want and desire and lust after when we're younger, God says, you've got to let that go. It's not necessarily the physical, it's a lot of different things. Why do a lot of times the young guys get into fights? Youthful lust. They want to prove they're the biggest and the baddest. Flee that stuff. Yeah, John? Can we still have youthful lust adults? You, you're old. You can't. <laughs> I mean, you, you, should, you, you should be so far past youthful lust, John. I mean, come on you so stupid attacked. That's good. <laughs> yes, anybody can have useful lust. What I was trying to say, though, is this idea of those things sometimes when we're younger and dumber, is what I'm trying to say, is, is you start seeing that type of stuff. I mean, it, it reminds me, uh, it doesn't matter, I can always go into these examples, but it's the point of that youthfulness, I believe I would almost say that inexperience, that lack of wisdom, those lusting of doing what feels good, almost the it feels good, so do it type of thing. So yeah, but yeah, as adults we can still struggle with that too. Yeah, Uh, and it's kind of interesting. Paul actually wrote this to Timothy, and when he wrote this to Timothy, most people believe Timothy was probably at least forty years old, and he was still considered a young man at that time. And Paul says, Timothy, don't let your youth get the best of you. You know, we can all, no matter how old we are, still fall back into that trap of being young and dumb type thing, being young and dumb. So, those are the four things that we're supposed to flee from. Flee from. So, bringing this all together now. You can see the things that suck peace out of your life. No mercy, pride, getting away with sin, you think. False wisdom, stubbornness. You can see the things that bring peace. Obedience. And when that temptation comes, you flee. You flee the sexual malady. You flee the idolatry. You flee the love of money. You flee the useful lust. Those things are just going to break you. What it really comes down to me is stubbornness. I was thinking about this. God is so good at breaking donkeys. He is so good at that. Sometimes we're the most stubborn people, and God is so good at breaking us. And I tell you right now, if you try to fight and argue with God, you're going to lose. There's a peace in just submitting to his will and saying, Lord, you know what's best. Obedience. Highly, highly encourage you with that. So, 8 o'clock here. Anybody got any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up our uh, study here in Isaiah 47 and 48? Just a reminder, next week, 7 o'clock, back in the fellowship hall. Paul, I hope you can all make it. If you have never been to one of these abbreviated Seder services and really seen what the Passover elements represent, you will be blown away by this. The picture of Jesus Christ that comes out of this is absolutely amazing. It is amazing. in this. So if you can, try to sign up for that, and I hope you can make it out for that. It will be a real blessing to hope you can do that. So without much further ado, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you go. Lord, as we come to you now, we are a stubborn people. Lord, help us in grace and mercy to seek you. Lord, those areas that we need to change, help us to change. Those things we need to do, Lord, help us to do. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. And Lord, help us to serve you in obedience. And thank you for the peace that comes from that. In your name we pray. Amen. guys have a good week and God bless.